Hello and welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast. This week we're going to be diving into the world of Premier League football once more, as well as having a little bit of a discussion about some of the officiating problems that we've seen over the last week or so. I'm your host and resident, Jordy Kieran, and today I'm joined by a Chelsea and Rangers fan, Luke. City, City. <laughs> Liverpool fan, Andy. Really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> and Partick Thistle supporter, Steve. Hello. It doesn't get any less tragic saying Partick Thistle supporter every week. It's, st- it's still bad. Uh, Are you sure you don't want to pick like an English team to make yourself just? I'm sorry, I so think he should. He's, he's, like, he's prevented us from week. talking about Newcastle for like 14 weeks until they start scoring goals, and now he's telling me go with Thistle. Now that there's no ammunition. Oh, oh clever man, mate. Newcastle could be Steve, Newcastle could be in the conference, and you'd still be the most tragic football fan in this group. And it's Steve, you could, <laughs> you could pick an English team, though, Steve. You could. You, could you should pick, pick an English, an English team. team. Or you could, could just finally what? admit that you're a Celtic supporter. Listen, Luke's think, tried that line for what? How many years? <laughs> Never going to work. Never going to work. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen your kids, Steve, wearing Liverpool shirts on your Facebook. I could that's be wrong. Because, that's because my kids live in Liverpool and their mother's a big Liverpool fan. However, if you do pick the, the one from when they were, they were very young, you'll find a picture of them wearing Man United tops when you were just born. Oh, okay, Steve, Ooh, We'll just ignore that. We'll ignore that. Just <laughs> before we get started then, Steve, if you were to choose an English Premier League team, who would it be? Actually, a if great you were question. To choose one. I, I'm, I'm quite intrigued to hear the answer to this. I'll get the feeling well, it probably division. would be Manchester United. No, for me, it's, I'd never pick a top team. That's just not me. Um, so I'd who probably look at teams that are kind of mid-table or overachieving. Um, Burnley. Burnley. I'd, like, I'd like to say I've got a fondness for Everton, but I haven't really because it's it's just Scousers <laughs> and I don't have a fondness <laughs> for Scousers, period. Um, probably, I'd go with Southampton because, you know, growing up... Southampton? You know, Southampton I can respect me, that. Well, when I was younger, I mean, Southampton, you know, they had Keegan before he went out to, uh, out to Hamburg uh, and they had uh, Letizia and they, they've had, they, they've always had players that I just admire and respect and they're always been a relatively well-run club you know they're, they're never flashy they're never like you no know, 50 million signings and so on they're just a, a, a well-run club mm. um plus i've got a mate of mine who's a massive pompey fan and it really winds him up if i suggest i'm a southampton fan next week it'll be part of Thistle and southampton supporter steve totally. As, uh, <laughs> i'm not sure i can it's accept locked. that it's locked well, and loaded, mate. It honestly, is. It's going into the script anyway, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> cracking on with uh, cracking on with the conversation. We'll start with VAR. Um, over the last week or so, we've seen a couple of red cards given in the Premier League, only to then be overturned a day or two later by the FA. Um, highlighting specifically Jan Bednarek's red card against Manchester United, as well as Thomas Socek's red card against Fulham both of which were then overturned a day later, despite the referee having used VAR to assist in the awarding of the red card. By contrast, a similar incident in the Wolves v Arsenal game saw David Luiz sent off, but his red card was upheld. Steve, uh, I guess the first question to ask here, I guess, is uh, how are referees still getting decisions wrong so often when they have video assistance on the field to help them decide, help them make their decisions? Um, and I'll, I'll answer this quite directly. Referees are not making these decisions. Um, one of the key things that you could see that the difference between some of these decisions at the weekend was that certain um, certain of the red cards were given after they'd had something in their ear. 
Uh, I'm, I think Mike Dean went to look at the uh, the video before making his decision, whereas I can't remember who it was with the uh, in the Arsenal Southampton match, and he chose not to. He just took the word of the person in his ear, telling him so and so fouled that you know made this foul, or that this person raised their hands, and that's where the decision is being made. And I said before, VAR has slowly but surely made referees pointless. They are solely there to give a decision that someone else has made. They are not in control of the game anymore. Um, and if VAR was meant to remove inconsistencies from refereeing, all it's done is actually magnified the, the mistakes that they do make. Right? I mean, Mike, Mike Dean, David Moyes was singing an interview afterwards again when it came to Suchek's red card. He says he was embarrassed for Mike Dean to have to stand there and give a red card mm. to Suchek because he knew as soon as the appeal that would be overturned. And he knew that Mike Dean had not made the decision. He knew that he had been told to come to the monitor, look at the monitor, and then make this decision. Right. The most ridiculous thing I've heard this week was Chris Sutton trying to justify um, sending off by saying, well, if you look at him, his, his fist, he's he, he, balled up in the fist. And I'm like, if I'm standing there, right, I'm trying to face someone off, I'm not pushing them with my, my hands open. I'm pushing them with my arm. Right, and you clench your fist when you push. It's just as simple as that. There, there was nothing in any of those three decisions, right, which would be classed as a clear and definitive foul. And that is the problem with VAR. It's utterly inconsistent. We had the thing at the start of the season where it was like anywhere near the top half of the body, it was giving away penalties, right? Then they decided, well, actually, change the rules on that. So it's like if they only, mm. only if it's like the the ball hand moves towards the ball, or it's a, a specific forward movement. They are making the rules up on VAR as they go along, and it's actually hurting certain teams more than others. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at it and um, you have a look at the decisions that were that were seen and in the and the confusion around them, and the fact that on the field we're getting red cards given, and then away from the field they're looking at it again and they're deciding that it wasn't a red card. Do you think this highlights maybe some confusion? within the rules and, and the different interpretations of them. And do we need to do, do the FA and the PGMOL uh, IFAB need to get their heads together and basically make these rules a little bit more clear? Absolutely. I think uh, throughout the season and even last season, we all, I don't think anyone's really clear what the actual rules are. They seem to always be different and it seems to be a lack of consistency, I think from both referees and the VAR decisions um, for example, I know we're going to touch on it later on, but the fact that one was overturned and one wasn't, even though they were both both a similar, similar sort of fouls in inverted commas, um, mm-hmm. I think that 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 lies the issue. I think there's no consistency from the rules. I think everyone's just confused as to what what's what, and it's just building up loads of loads of just uncertainty and sort of it's just making it for not a good spectacle at times for some games because you, you just it, the games was ruined sometimes by a bad decision, just and that shouldn't farce, be, isn't it? And that wasn't what they built. VAR was built in, I said this before, but VAR was built in to to get rid of these talking points, to get rid of these mistakes that we used to see with like Lampard goal against Germany, uh, all these different things that we've seen in the past. But in, the, in, in fact, it has a fact that it created more problems. That actually, there's probably more talking points since VAR's come in than there has been before it was there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Luke, you're looking at it. And obviously the one thing that we always hear is... Uh, it's his interpretation of the rules. This is his interpretation of the rules. And the fact that people are interpreting the rules differently and that different referees in, in, interpret the rules differently 
is that not like is that not evidence of an, uh, an inherent problem um, in the way the game, the game has been governed and officiated? Well, there is an ongoing problem with the standard of referee, and 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 I don't think it's necessarily limited to just England, actually. Um, but I, but I do think there is a lack of consistency in terms of the the, the interpretation of the rules, and they're not necessarily. Um, I don't think that they, they probably could do with being simplified down again. But we've talked about this a, a number of times, haven't we? And and it always seems to be the same that. If you've got VAR, why would you need to, to then actually appeal uh, a sending off or a decision? Because the whole idea of VAR is to allow you to have that sort of, you know, oversight. And so, it, it, to me, anyway, at least, it seems pretty ludicrous, you know, fairly ludicrous, really, overall, to then allow an appeal on, on top of that. that that's just, I, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. But I think the big problem is the referee doesn't have any authority on the park anymore. And and that just doesn't seem, why, why is he there? Do you know what I mean? Is it there just to blow a whistle and that's it? I guess you can you can yeah, we, look at all four of the match officials now. The only uh-huh. one who really serves a purpose anymore is the fourth official who tells us how many minutes injury time there is. And even then, he's probably not right either, is he? So <laughs> could just put that on the screen, couldn't you, <laughs> Steve? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what Luke said there is absolutely spot on. The the point of this was meant to be an assistant. For when the referees looked at something and he hasn't been able to make a decision and he wants, you know, he wants assistance with it. Um, we're not getting that now. And even if you could say, oh, different referees interpret things differently, the whole point of it being referred back upstairs to VAR is that there should be one individual there making a consistent decision. And that's yes. not even happening, right? Yeah. You've yes. got, you know, I agree with that. I mean, it's not as well. I mean, I can appreciate it. If it's three o'clock on a Friday and that one person has to make four VAR decisions because there's four ongoing games, that's great. But when it's Sunday evening and it's five o'clock and there's one game and literally you have one job and that's to review the footage and say, that was offside, that was a foul, that was a penalty. Then, you know, how are you still getting it wrong? We, we talked before about um, sending loss being overturned. A sending off that's done via VAR should not be possibly overturned because, in theory, it should be irrefutable. That's I agree. I agree with there. that. Right? I absolutely agree it, with that. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, which means they can't get a red card wrong, right? Because you get a red card in any game and it changes the game completely. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen some red cards which you can't argue, like the, um, the young Southampton lad who, in the second minute, went mm. in the comedy like he was trying to kick his knees out. Right, fair mm. enough, straight red, no problem at all. And then you get to the last one where it's Bednarek, and it's like, it's the whole, you know, was there contact? It's like, no, no, there yeah. wasn't. Right, no, and, and you thing. look at the the Luis one where it's like, William Jose is ahead of him. Luis makes no attempt to touch the player or trip the player or make contact with the player. William Jose, because of his natural running motion, throws a foot up which hits Luis's knee, which is behind him, and falls over. And that doesn't get overturned. This this just makes zero sense. Um, it's the gravitational pull of his hair, though. I mean, that's a real thing. I, I can't really argue that one, to be fair. Yes, <laughs> that, is, that is a full-on <laughs> mini-planet up there. Honestly, Basically, the physicists, uh, David Lewis's hair is string theory, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, VR is still not working as intended. Um, and I hope that they all sit down at the end of the season and say, right, we got this wrong, we got this wrong, we got this wrong, 
and they either say referees are going to make the decisions on the pitch, right? And we will only call them across for absolute certainties. We won't call them across for things like two players tussling in the area and one goes down holding his face like he's been shot. We will only call them across when they see something and they want clarification. Yeah. Or could it also be um, used in a situation, could we go the complete other way, wherein um, instead of it being a video assistant referee, they just come out and say, look, from now on, the video the video referee will, if the referee decides to use the video referee, the video referee makes the final decision. And that's that. And what yep. the video referee yep. says goes pretty much the way it works in rugby. Yes, exactly. Mm. That's exactly that's exactly it. The TMO is perfect, a perfect example of it. it the is. problem with that is though that this is exactly what's happening just now. The video referee is making the decision and then telling the referee, by the way, I've made a decision. You need to come and see why I've made we, this decision. You don't know that though. Yes, we do, because we see the referees who have the You don't because you don't you don't know what's being said in those conversations because they don't let us hear those conversations, which in itself is an issue. Yeah, I think they should they should definitely use what rugby do. I think when you watch any any fixations game, the weekend just gone or any rugby game in the past, you always can hear on the TV. You can always hear the referee yeah. first of talking to the players, but you can also yeah. hear the referee Absolutely. talking to the guy in his ear. So I think if football yeah. could do that, I think we may be a lot more accepting of and it. And you hear it both just... ways as well. Yeah, you yeah. hear it both yeah. ways. I think, I, I think people would agree with this. I think people would appreciate yeah. it a hell of a lot more. I mean, they did trial it in the A League um, in Australia. Mm. Yeah, I've seen videos of it, and um, if you do a quick Google search, I'm sure you'll be able to find it yourself. But um, yeah, there are videos of the of the referee communicating with the VAR official from um, a top level Australian league game, and it it seems to work a hell of a lot better. The comments were all very positive mm-hmm. towards that being a thing. Um, so I do think that's a situation that we need to actually mm-hmm. look at. Um, but yeah. Luke, is can also say, other... come on, Scotland. Come on, <laughs> Scotland. As well. oh, yeah. That, that yeah. doesn't need to be mentioned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a football podcast. <laughs> yes, sorry. Apologies. Mm, mm. If England had won, it would be the other way around. Don't worry. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, is there, any other, is there anything else that we can do to change this in a positive manner or... The way it's going right now, I would probably just get rid of VAR because I don't actually think it's giving you that much benefit. I think it's actually actively harming the game. Um, so, so really, you know, it's got to it's got to change and it's got to change for the better, as far as I'm concerned. I, I just don't see the I don't see the benefit. I think it's I think it's caused too many. Any time the referee or the VAR has been talked about, that tells you that something's gone wrong. Do you know what I mean? Because they, they should be invisible, practically speaking. Yeah. I don't think that's rocket science at all. How often do and we talk about things, goal line technology these days? Yeah, exactly. Never. It, it should it shouldn't it shouldn't be a thing that it should be it just was seamless. A, it was a seamless transition. Yeah, exactly. We, we, hang on. we just said how often do we talk about goal line transition? Didn't we have a whole incident last year where um someone someone scored a goal and uh oh, very wasn't Sheffield. counted and resulted with someone someone getting relegated? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> But but yeah. you know apart from that though we did but that, that was because they that was but again that was human error though because they forgot to switch it bloody on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the most basic <laughs> of things. <laughs> but uh, you know seriously like how many times have we talked about VR and and pod this year? A lot so of much. times, and that tells you that just tells you everything it, you need to know about. It's going to happen because uh, 
if you think back to December, I suggested that we um, should like start the uh, start the podcast every week with an episode where we look basically just VAR watch. Um, we'll be looking at all the decisions that VAR got wrong this weekend. And if there's enough for us to actually do that every weekend, then there's a clear problem, isn't there? Mm. So, um, mm, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, moving on uh, to Liverpool. Um, and contrary to the colour of the shirt they wear, having a little bit of a blue period. This weekend, Liverpool suffered a pretty embarrassing defeat at home in Manchester City as the Sky Blues put four past Klopp's team. It may have even been five, if not for Ilkay Gundogan's blazed first-half penalty. And that defeat makes this the first time Liverpool have lost three consecutive home games since 1963, marking a low point in what has been a very, well, for the most part, enjoyable period um, over the last two years for the Reds. With Jurgen Klopp ranting at interviewers and seemingly losing his head a little, many are starting to question uh, the popular smiley German... Steve, are things starting to fall apart at Anfield for Klopp? Uh, I don't think there's any doubt in that whatsoever. Um, the, the thing about it is that when you've had such a sustained period of success as Klopp has had, right, there's always going to be the barren season. There's always going to be the year when something doesn't quite go to plan, right? Now, historically, what's happened is Liverpool's board have always backed the managers through this. They've said, you know what, we get a bad year here and there, right? Um Klopp could still go on this season. He could still win a cup, maybe. I don't know, they're still in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you look beyond that and you say, where are they going to finish in the league? Third? Mm. Fourth? Is that, you know, for, for a team of Liverpool's calibre, for a team that's done as well as they've done in the last three years, is that enough? You know, would the board be saying, actually, you know, why, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? There are... So many similarities here um, between Klopp's season this year and the classic Mourinho third season. Now I know it's Klopp's fifth season, so we're not we're not going to say you know this is a, a Klopp third season. Obviously, Klopp did alright in his third season. This is a Mourinho third season, right? Falling out with the players, right? There's been murmurings off the pitch of be it both Salah and Manny being unhappy, um, Manny wanting to move to Madrid. Salah not being happy with, with Klopp's backing him. Um, there's been indications in when it comes to his uh, team selection that he has certain players who maybe are not quite as good or quite as in form as, as others, but they get the nod because they are Klopp's mm. favourites. And if you go back to Mourinho's first few seasons at Chelsea, he had those players as well. And you looked at him, Luke will remember this, players who you looked at and you thought, He's absolutely awful this week. He looks like he's just not interested, but he starts every week because he's Mourinho's boy. Mm. And there are certain ones at Liverpool that are starting to look like that. No, uh, now what Klopp has what Klopp hasn't done that Mourinho did was Mourinho has a tendency to very critically publicise, very uh, uh, publicly criticise um, when those players are off form. Klopp's hey, been quite protective. Luke Shaw about that, eh? Yeah, Luke Shaw knows all about that. Yeah, um, where, you know, whereas Klopp's quite protective of his team. But yeah. I suspect we will see at some point in the next three or four weeks, if this run continues, Klopp might say he's disappointed in his players or he might even go as far as to single one or two out. But you can guarantee it will not be one of his favourites. Okay. Um, but, he, I mean, it's not if you had these, these excuses before. Um, it was too windy tonight. Uh, the wind was too cold for my players. It was too snowy. Uh, the referees are breaking up the rhythm of my team. The pitch was too dry. 
the grass was too long. All of those, you would think, that sounds like Mourinho. But all of them this season have been Jurgen Klopp. Uh, and one thing Mourinho didn't do for a while, and he did eventually, was have a go at TV broadcasters. And, you know, I have total sympathy for Jeff Shreves here because he did absolutely nothing wrong and he got both barrels. And Klopp, you know, he really, Klopp should have come out afterwards and said, you know what, I'm sorry, I, I you know, that was inappropriate, inappropriate, that was unprofessional. Um, but to, the, to go to the game and to see where, where his, his biggest problems were, you signed two central defenders in the, in the window. And you have Nat Phillips, who he's not the quickest, but he's a good, solid centre-back. And yet you chose to play Jordan Henderson and Fabinho. Now, I've, yes. I've raised this in previous podcasts, right? The foundation of Liverpool's team has been Henderson and Fabinho, or Henderson and Wijnaldum, two yes. holding midfielders in front of two natural centre-backs. And when you take that away... Right, you you lose the, the foundation upon which the team and the formation is built. Okay, you lose the energy in midfield. No disrespect to Thiago, he's got an amazing race of passing. But if you ask me who's going to chase someone down 40 yards, Thiago or Henderson, it's going to be Henderson. Right. And with you know, there's no there isn't that energy in the midfield that Liverpool are used to, right? I still don't know what it is that Nat Phillips has done to piss off Klopp. He's played three or four games. He's looked very, very solid. And yet, in the window, Klopp goes out and signs two centre-backs, doesn't play either of them, and also doesn't play Nat Phillips. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Alisson, I think everyone who's watching that game could tell you from the start, he was not ready to return. He was rushed back, right? As, as, someone, uh, as someone unkindly pointed out, um, he, looked, he made one save out of five, and otherwise, he went full carriers to the power of Adrian. Mm. Uh, it, there was just, there was so much about it. And the, here's something, Andy, you will remember this, right? Which Liverpool manager, after his team got absolutely thrashed, decided to come out and tell the public, do you know what? I think we were brilliant tonight. I think the players were brilliant. Does that sound familiar, Andy? That was Roy Hodgson when, when he lost 2-0 to Everton. No, yeah. that was Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers was coming out after his team had been humped and he was saying, we were brilliant, we, we, we did everything right, we just we were unlucky tonight. And I'm like, Klopp said that. You've lost 4-1 at home, two awful mistakes from your goal. By the way, they weren't they brilliant, they were terrible. They weren't. Oh. There was nothing, there was nothing what was positive he, to take from that. What was he thinking about? What was he thinking about saying they were brilliant? What? I, I, I will say that that first half, the second half of the first half, I think we did look good when it was still, I think it was only it was nil nil at the time. I think we I, we did look promising. I think the last quarter of an hour, twenty minutes of the first half, I think there were times in that game where I think we did look quite good. But I think as soon as uh, obviously we got lifeline back, we got equaliser. But I think yeah, it's overall, at the overall, the overall day, game, you're Premier League champions. You can't be hang. You can't be sort of. I guess clutching at straws in that you played oh, no, well no. for one they, quarter of a game. I'm just going to say the Premier League champions for another 14 weeks because they there's quite good zero chance of Liverpool being champions again this year. Yeah, and I, I, really I, I will give you, I will give you the exact moment Liverpool lost the title this year. It was November the 11th, and that was the day that Joe Gomez joined Virgil Van Dijk on the injury list, right? Because you look at what the uh, at what City did. 
City went out in summer and they bought spent sixty million on Ruben Diaz. So they bought another quality defender. So they have three, maybe four, right? Mm-hmm. Liverpool in the summer. Who did they sign? Did they sign a backup to make sure should something happen to Virgil Van Dijk or Joe Gomez or any of the centre backs that they wouldn't have have a struggle like this? No. They went out and they signed uh, Diogo Jota and they signed Thiago. And it was like, those were clearly areas of the team that needed strengthening, but teams with depth win titles. And Liverpool have no squad depth this season. If you look at it, we, we, we weren't expecting to have Van Dijk, Matip and Joe Gomez all out for the whole year. I think I think also you got to take into account that last season we were all saying... Uh, why didn't they buy any players? And we still won the league by quite inconvincing points margin. So, yeah, because you didn't case. have any injuries last season. You got, got lucky, lucky injuries last season. You got lucky. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure no one. I don't think anyone in Liverpool would have gone right, boys. We're going to we're going to go into a season. We're going to lose seven two to Aston Villa. We're going to have three starting centre backs injured. We're going to be playing. We are we going to buy a brand new midfielder from from ex Barcelona, and he's been get injured for a while. Um, we, we I think I think just you can't ever predict that well, Andy, Andy, Andy if, if we're going to have that argument right who is the best player currently in Manchester City's squad De Bruyne how many weeks has Kevin De Bruyne been ruled out for only four isn't it at the moment is that right yeah, yeah. Well, how many of those games while. have Man City won and won comfortably that's one injury that's one injury to one no, that, player that, whereas we've had but this this is the point you can you can argue Gomez you can argue Matip you can have else. Virgil van Dijk is your key centre back and there is nobody of his quality in the squad to replace him. Right? No, De Bruyne has I'm... been injured right, for three weeks. City have won all three games comfortably and none of the players who have come in for him have looked out of place. But they're not but, of but, his quality. There's a difference, though. You know what I mean? They, I mean, but then Van Dijk did play in that seven-two loss. I think he was still there. And until recently, we hadn't actually lost a game for some time without Van Dijk. We we drew a few games, yes, granted. But we, I think, we were seven points clear of Man City on well, when he beat Spurs just before Christmas time, and when and when we beat Palace seven-nil away just just before Christmas, we were seven points clear. So it's only until recently where it's gone badly. Until then, we were showing no real signs of missing Van Dijk. It was obviously... Can I also he... point out that the problem for Liverpool since Christmas has not been conceding... Mm. The... Exactly, it's the attack. It's the attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that, that we've already discussed exactly why that is. You have yeah, a back four that needs to have a solid two central metres in front of it. It should be Newton Henderson. Players mm. of that style and that quality. And that's what allows the creative players in front of them to go in and get the goals. And you don't have that. Well, we we had that. And then Klopp decided to play Jota in the meaningless Champions League. And that's been a killer, I think, as well. The fact that, because there was times this season where all the different three weren't firing, but then Jota was still yeah. getting the goals. Whereas um, I'm still, obviously you played as if Fabinho Trent started as well in that game. And lucky they didn't get injured. But obviously Jota got injured in that last game away at Michelin. And I think that's been a killer as well, because I think that's gone quite under the radar. The fact that, he was getting the goals and he was, I think he scored in the 1-1 against Matadi. He scored in quite a few games in a row. And I think his absence, he was the only real attack, like actual forward that was actually playing well at one point. And mm-hmm. I think since he's been out particularly, I think we have struggled, obviously, the last month especially. But I think as well, before that, our attack hasn't really been the same recently. Luke? No, no. I said that there's just, there's no... There's no quality. There's no energy in midfield. So Steve, yeah. Can I possibly interject at this point, if that's okay? So, so I've got a bit of an open message to, to Klopp, and 
the 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 man the uh, the guys that run Liverpool, right? Here's what I think. I think you knew that you had two of your top centre backs out at the start of January. You did nothing. You did. You should first of January when that window opened. You should have brought the bank to get at least one good quality centre back. Absolutely straight away, right? No question. I don't care if you think you didn't have money, right? You you should have sorted that out. You identified that as a weakness. It was obvious as anything in the game in Saturday and be, the games before that that playing two two centre midfield at, at centre back is totally not going to work. Fabinho, for all his efforts and stuff, he gave away a penalty. He's, he gave away another penalty as well before that. You know, he's not a centre back, and it's pretty obvious. But worse than that, you lose the dynamic of the, you know the dynamic nature of your team, which is all about dominating the space. And if you don't have your best midfielders playing in that position, then you are in big, big trouble. And that's exactly what the problem is here. As far as I'm concerned, Liverpool threw that title away on the first of January when they did nothing. And and the, not only that, they've got two centre backs. They haven't played them. What's going on? Something something's not right. And they they needed to bust the bank, and they haven't done it. And honestly. They've only got themselves to blame. I don't care if they say they've not got money. They're Liverpool, right? They're not Burnley, right? I don't care. And if it was if it was Chelsea, for example, and we lost our three centre-backs, you could bet your bottom dollar we'd be straight out and buying somebody. You could absolutely put your... put your. I'd, I'd put £10 in it right now. They would definitely do it. I, I do not understand why Liverpool didn't do this. And honestly, if any of them are listening, it's on you... And no wonder Liverpool fans are angry because if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be raging right now. You basically handed it to Man City on a plate. There you go. That's it, pretty much. Sorry, but that's that's what I wanted to say. Andy? I, I think Klopp has come out recently and said how he hasn't, they haven't got the funds. I think if you look at the history of FSG, I mean, we <laughs> bought Coutinho for eight, seven, eight million and sold him for 150, which funded the Van Dyke and Allison signings. I mean, Apart from that, we haven't really spent more than probably 50, 60 million pounds each year. And that isn't the same as the teams like Chelsea, Man U, Man City, so, all these teams. How much past. did you spend this year? How much did you spend this year? Well, that was probably because we won the league. And that, that was based on the signings we made, as I just mentioned then. So I think obviously so, how we much wouldn't have spent this year. Well, we made, I think, but I think actually, if you look at the players we sold, I don't think it was that much. If you look at the sort of the, because Lovren went for like something yeah, like You haven't spent million. much. No, exactly, exactly. And yeah. I think that's, and also we, we bought yeah. Kabak so, so, on loan. We bought Ben Davis for two million. So, so clear that the, the money's just not. Can, can, I, can I just say, can I just say that Liverpool have literally, can I, hang on, let me just say that, well, last year, um, February last year, Liverpool announced a record breaking turnover of £533 million mm-hmm. pre COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me that they don't have the funds. I don't well, buy it. They don't, don't. Want to, they, they don't want to spend it. I think that's it. I don't, I don't think FSG wants to spend the money. Because I think I'm looking here well, at the chances we made. Thing. Well, ex- yes, exactly. But there's a difference between not they having the funds and refusing to spend the funds. Yeah, but I, don't, I think we, we made we sold £38 million from sales and we only spent... So we'll spend £74 million. So that's only, what's it, £40 million, which is compared yeah. to... All the teams around us is not that much. I think there is something in in the boardroom. I think there is something going on behind the scenes, and that, I think there's obviously the rumours that Klopp may maybe maybe falling out with the owners because of this reason. And I think I wouldn't be surprised to be honest if that's the case because it's clear that he's not he's not having the money to spend this January. And I think 
it may be different if there wasn't for COVID happening and the big lack of fans. I don't know, but even so, I think there is something going on. Steve, this is always your point when you've got a a company that runs the club to make a profit. Very few people ever come into football looking to make a profit, right? They come in to run the, the business absolutely as a business and grow the value of it, right? Um, in a lot of cases, they come in as fans or as people who have been associated with the club for a long time and just want to see the club run well. Um, when you get clubs who come in and their their sole pro- purpose is to make a profit every year, get a dividend for their shareholders, you know, and continue to grow the value of the business, you've got a problem. And it worked. It worked for Liverpool for a couple of years, and the fans are very, very happy about it. But it, the fans are turning on them right now. Um, I, the, the comedy of the week, which uh, Luke will appreciate, and he's seen this many times, is the number of phone-ins that have been telling us that uh, Jurgen Klopp needs to be sacked and Steven Gerrard needs to be appointed. Um, now, this has been going on probably for two or three weeks through this, this bad run of form, but it reached fever pitch this week, and it has been absolutely hilarious to listen to. Yeah, the, the, these clop-out things I'm seeing on Twitter, and the guy on TalkSport I saw on YouTube... It's absolute nonsense because it's only it's only been it's only been a month. It's it's only been literally a month of bad form. I think Liverpool. I think the Liverpool fans are getting too carried away. I think they're forgetting what he's, he came to the club in a, with a team in a mess. The, the whole the start lineup was terrible compared to what it is now. And I think Liverpool fans need to get a sense of perspective that actually what he's done is amazing. And I think anyone who's saying that doesn't really understand football, to be honest. Anyone who's saying Klopp should leave, I think really yeah. is just talking absolute nonsense in my opinion because. I mean, Klopp is probably the best Liverpool manager since, like the Paisley, since Bill Shankly. And I think these fans who are saying it are just are just getting too greedy. And I think they need to really. Um, I think I think what you're seeing there is the modern day social media football fan. Oh, it's absolutely nonsense. Yeah. But what I will ask you though is that if you look down that Premier League table right now, you've got um, Liverpool are sitting on forty points. You've got Chelsea and West Ham a point behind. Then you've got Everton three points behind with two games in hand. Um, then you've got Tottenham are only four points behind, Villa are only five. And then um, there's a good few teams chasing Liverpool. So the chances mm. are Liverpool, if they don't pull their act together, might not even qualify for the Champions League this season. If that happens, is Jurgen Klopp's job in danger? No, I don't think so. I mean, in terms of if he falls out with the owners, then I think, yes, that could be an issue. But I think if you're looking at him as what he's done, I think... Uh, first of all, there's still a long way left to go, so he may still well get top four. But I think we've got to take into account it's hard because obviously he's what he's done did... in the past enough to save hmm. his job after a season wherein Liverpool would have realistically expected to challenge for the title. If they then don't even qualify for the Champions League, surely that's sackable, no? Not for me, no. I think you've got to look at this is why I had a problem with the Ranieri sacking, this is why I had a problem with sackings like this is because what you've not done in the in the last year has done something that no one's managed in 30 yeah. years um yeah. he's he, he understands the people uh he's probably the most loved manager in Premier League history for Liverpool I think every Liverpool fan most Liverpool fans love him I mean I absolutely love him I I think I I got a lot of admiration for that man so I think and I think that's what just me I think that speaks for a lot of Liverpool fans I think I think there'll be yeah. I think there'll, there, there will be an outrage I think if he got sacked because I think I think even, I'm with even, you on that. Even before you look at two Champions League finals in a row. I mean, his first season he got to a two, two cup finals, the League Cup and Europa League final. 
Um, obviously got back in the Champions League within two, three years of managing the club. Um, so I think personally, I think obviously things, obviously if it gets really bad sort of in a year or two, then obviously then um, maybe that's something to consider. But even then, I don't think you should ever sack him. I think that... Um, you can't say think, never, Andy. You can't no, say you should never have a sack him, you know what I mean? No, but I think that it would take a lot. But I do think potentially... Uh, if Klopp continues to sort of have these problems behind the scenes with the board, they may do it and that would shock a lot of people. Um, I think for me, that's the only way in the next year I'd see him going was if, first of all, if he had enough, if he decided to resign or if the board and him had an argument and they got rid of him, that's the only way I can see him leaving in the next year. Um, Just to interject, Luke has had to leave. um, So Luke won't be uh, here for the rest of the podcast. He's had a bit of an emergency so that, that he's had to go and deal with. So um, it's just the three of us for the rest of the show, rest of the episode. Um, Steve, back to the Liverpool debate, back to the Klopp debate. From a non-biased perspective, from a non-Liverpool perspective, if Jurgen Klopp doesn't qualify for the Champions League, if Liverpool don't qualify for the Champions League this year, is he, is he in danger of losing his job? Yes. Uh, I, I disagree with what Andy says. I, I think that the problem that you have here is, first off, football is and always has been a results-driven game, right? If the the quality of the performances and the quality of the results continues to fall, and let's see, we're not at the end of the season yet, right? We're looking at what Liverpool fans are assuming is going to be a little bit of a form slump and they'll have a couple of wins and get back to winning ways. Sports were top of the table for what? Six weeks ago? And where yeah. are they now? Leicester were in the top three and they're starting to fade away. Chelsea were top and Chelsea faded away. Leicester still season, are third, by the way. Yeah, but I'm saying that they, they were top and they're, they're third now and they're kind of they're drifting away from, from United and City. Um, this could actually get worse for Klopp because what he's not doing is addressing the problem. He's not addressing the problem at the back. He's not addressing the problem with his strikers. Salah's getting goals. Manny is not. Firmino's getting the odd goal here. The goals from midfield are just not coming. The, 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 the team performance looks disjointed, right? And Luke, you'll, Kieran, you'll appreciate this, right? When Klopp left Dortmund, right, the, what were the reasonings given? Was it that he had lost the dressing room or was it he fell out with the board? Uh, I believe it was bored. Yeah, right. And if Klopp's saying, you know, I have to go and buy a 12 million pound centre back when I really want to buy a 40 million pound centre back, and he's not he's not publicly criticizing them yet, right? But he is he is hinting that the money isn't there to spend. And if Liverpool think of themselves as a top four team, one of the biggest teams in the world, why is that money not there? What are FSG spending that money on elsewhere? Right? I mean, for God's sake, FSG are part owned by Disney. I mean, if, if you can't get money out of the biggest entertainment group in the world to get your franchise back on track, you know. They, there's they, definitely regardless, regardless of Disney, if FSG are one of the biggest sports investment firms in the world. They they own some of the well, one or two of the most profitable sports organizations in the world. Yes, like including yes. the Red Sox. Am I am I incorrect here? Mm. Yeah, yeah, they do. This is not a franchise. This is not a company that lacks cash, and yet it's starving its manager of cash. I, I think that, you know, this situation will get worse before it gets better. I mean, I, I, I've got a quick look at Liverpool's next, like, three fixtures. Uh, I'll let Andy talk on, on what I've just said there. But I have a funny feeling. Liverpool, 
could probably lose two out of the next five. And we'd, we'd be serious. We'd be seeing those calls for Klopp out escalating. I will say, I think, um, obviously I mentioned it before, but Jot is going to be back soon. So I think he'll be a nice welcome addition to that team, that attack, freshen things up in that front three. I think also, I think Naby Keita's back in training. Not that he'll stay fit, he'll probably get injured again. But if he can stay fit, um, I do think that he he could potentially add some some something in that midfield that maybe he's been lacking. I mean, Thiago, as much as he's been criticised, he has been the only guy really getting getting the ball into, into, into the attacking area. So I do think, um, and I hope, obviously, I think it was hard to, put, to bring Kabak and Davis in for that game against Man City. I think, I think we'll, we'll probably see him in the next couple of games, I think, uh, particularly Kabak. Maybe you, play, you could maybe have played one of them. You could maybe have played yeah. Kabak in that game. It, I think it's you a, could have. It, it's I think a huge game, definitely. I think. It is a huge game to put him into. And also, again, that Fabinho and Henson did keep a clean sheet against Man U. So I think they had the experience in these big games. So I think maybe it was just one game too early for Kabak. So I think maybe we'll see Kabak in the next couple of games. This will probably bring Henderson further forward. Yeah. Um, so I think that could be a sign of something, obviously, because it has got really gone bad since he moved to centre-back. I think before then... Henderson's been right. big missed. Yeah, Henderson's Massively, been the biggest think, miss, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, by the way, just one for the listeners. Luke is back. Sorry, sorry, back to a four man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry about that. No, and Andy, so here's your next five fixtures, right? Mm. You've got Leicester away next week, right? Then you've got Red Bull Leipzig away in the Champions League, right? And then you're oh. home Everton in the Derby. Now, if Klopp doesn't win at least two out of those three games, can you tell me that we're not going to hear more pressure about, you know, is there a problem? If, if the team doesn't come back to form in the next three two games, I mean, to be fair, he needs to win two out of those three because after that, he's actually got pretty easy run. He's got Sheffield United away. He's got Fulham at home. You know, and you know, then he's got the return leg for Leipzig. But, you know, he needs to get the team back on and win two out of those next three games. And if he doesn't, more questions are going to be answered, and this situation is going to continue to get worse. Mm. If he comes out of that those three games having only won one of them, or maybe won mm. one, drawn one, right? Is the confidence going to be in the team going into a, a, what should be a, an easy win away at Sheffield United, who are, mm. to be fair, improving rapidly compared with how they were at the start of the season? Yeah, I, th- I think should take care of them. I think potentially, and I think the other game, especially, I think. Ancelotti's got a great record against Klopp. He's, I know mean, during the time as Napoli, they beat us a couple of times in the group stages in two, mm. sec- two consecutive years. Um, so I do think that's a worry in terms of that record at Anfield as well against Everton. Um, and I do think as well Leicester, they're sort of a team that have been sort of, you can't really tell whether, you can't really tell how they can play each week. They're sort of quite, been quite inconsistent at times this season. Um, I'm not sure whether, is Vardy anywhere near being back or is he still injured? I think he's, he's been back a big and he's played at the weekend. Oh. Brilliant. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's good news to hear. Um, <laughs> he's got a good record against us as well. Um, yeah. he, <laughs> he missed. He missed a setter right at the end of the game. To be fair. Oh, okay. I think I, I didn't. I didn't watch that second half of that game. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's definitely a worry. I mean, thankfully the Leipzig games now been playing at Budapest, so I think that'll yeah. be a neutral venue. And then second yeah. exit Anfield. I don't know how that's happened, but um, so yeah, that's that's something good in our favour. But I think even then, I think we have to be worried about it. But I do think, I mean, even if, even if you finished fifth or sixth, I I still think next season you'll have Van Dijk back, you'll have Joe Gomez back, you'll have Thiago with Henderson and Fabinho in the middle. So I do think 
if you can look past this and just look at this season as just just a write-off, I think maybe next season we've got to look at the bigger picture. I think maybe then we may see more better 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 performances. And also we may go out and sign players. Because I remember when we bought Van Dijk, we didn't buy him in the summer and everyone's going, oh, why didn't mm. they buy a centre-back? Why didn't they just buy someone else? But we didn't buy him. We waited for the right person to come. And maybe that's what Klopp, maybe Klopp's doing. That. Maybe he's preparing for someone mm. like Upa Mankana or someone like of that calibre in, in centre-back or maybe looking for another attacker. I've heard Haaland linked. I don't think he'll come, but um, maybe he's got something planned in the summer. Like maybe he's got someone he wants to um, to buy, but he's waiting until summer. So yeah, I think... I don't think it's up look- to... I don't think it's Klopp, really. I don't think it's Klopp. That's the issue it's in Edwards. that regard, mate. It's... Yeah. Um, it's um, yeah, it's Michael Edwards and it's yeah. FSG not giving them... Not like basically giving the money from what we can tell. Well, this this is, this, is, this is apparently this is apparently the cause of the Rogers sacking was the fact that I think Rogers wanted Benteke, um, Edwards wanted Firmino uh, in that summer. They ended up having to get both, and that's I think that fallout over who to buy. I think that start that's that sort of um, mm. sort of then that sort of resulted in in the sort of sacking of Rogers eventually when the form results didn't go well. Bang, you're gone. I, I don't think I'll be the same yeah. clock, but I do think uh, there is potential for fallout as well with with Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp and FSG in general. I'll, I'll give you the nightmare scenario here, Andy. Right, um, this summer, right, Liverpool are going to sell either Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane. If I was him, I would just take Klopp, the money. Klopp is going to be take told. Klopp is going to be told if you want players in, you need to sell. He's not Neither going to be given, of getting any younger. He's not going to be given yeah. 50, 60 million to spend. He's going to be told you can buy players if you mm. sell, right? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I, the worst thing about that is that's going to bring you into next season still in a rebuild phase with mm. players coming in and getting used to the mm. team and getting used to the environment and getting used to Klopp's system. And that could have the knock-on effect of you starting next season badly. And if you finish fifth or sixth and you don't have Champions League and you start next season badly, the voices saying Klopp out will get louder and louder and the board will start to notice. Yeah, and I do think that's the way for me. I mean, I wouldn't get rid of those three for anyone unless someone goes, you get Ronaldo or Messi. I do think um, I wouldn't... Ronaldo or Messi for them. They're like eight (laughs) years older than both of them. And still like amazing, (laughs) but um, but no, I I wouldn't at all ever want to get rid of Salah or Mane, but it it is worry. I think uh, to lose any of those two would be massive. Unless we get someone in a similar caliber, I think otherwise, I, I would. I really hate to see one of those two players leave. Quick question then: If you had to sell one of them, who would you sell? It's tough because Marnie's Marnie's got the better work rate, but Salah gets yeah. the goal. I would I always. I love him probably more than Marnie, but I think I would get rid of Salah only because yeah. of Marnie's work rate, the way he tracks back yeah. more. That's the only reason why because they get a similar amount of goals. So I do think that's the only reason why. Um, I, I do feel Marnie's more likely to leave than Salah personally. Possibly, yeah, yeah. yeah only because he's got there's obviously the French influence of being from Senegal. I think anyone who's got French influence grew up watching Zidane. He's going to want to play for yeah. Madrid and play under Zidane. So I think that's a way for anyone who's got a French player in their team at the moment. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, well, Zidane's not going to be at Real at the end of the season anyway. So that's a good point, actually. He might, he it's might the way it's that. looking. Yeah, it's the way it's looking. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, one last question on Liverpool. Um, I'm going to go around each of you. So I want you to tell me where you think Liverpool will finish this season and Ooh. justify it. Would justify <laughs> it as quickly as you possibly can. One sentence, if possible. Steve. Uh, da, 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 da. Fourth. Uh, and they're going to 
finish fourth because they will not be able to sort out their back four. Andy? Third. I think that we're going to come back once. I think we're going to have, we're going to find our form once again. Whether, when that be, I don't know, but I think we'll find some form. Maybe in those games that Steve mentioned, the Sheffield United game and so on, we could find some form then and get, get some players back. And I do think, um, I think we'll manage to, we'll manage to get third. Optimistic. I like it. Luke? I'll go with second um, because I think they will come Very through this optimistic. bad patch. Um, I think they'll come through this bad patch and I think the key is getting Henderson back in midfield and getting a dynamism back in their game. And once they do that, then they'll be able to dominate teams again. Um, so the, the key is getting the new centre-backs in and, and getting them up to speed, I think. And then hopefully, um, you know, they can, they can come good. But, you know, obviously, Chelsea will come second. <laughs> Steve just put in the chat lunacy he's not having it no, no, I'm not having that at all right. there is no way on this earth you can tell me not, that, not, that Liverpool not. squad in that form right now can catch that Man United squad in that form no way it's Man, it's man United <laughs> as, Rio as, Rio, as Rio Ferdinand said bottle jobs but <laughs> a little birdie tells me that we're going to get onto that so Moving on. Elsewhere in the Premier League this weekend, Manchester United dropped points against Everton, leaving them five points behind Rival City, despite having played a game extra. Also, Newcastle got back to winning ways, hanging on by the skin of their teeth with nine men to beat Southampton, wrapping up quite the poor week for the Saints. Harry Kane's early return inspired Tottenham to a comfortable win at Hawthorne's well. Chelsea edged out Sheffield United at Bramall Lane. Luke will begin with Chelsea. Um, I asked this question Chelsea. last week, and I'm going to ask it again today. <laughs> Are Chelsea beginning to look a better side under Thomas Tuchel? Do you know what? They just need to keep getting the results they need to just keep working hard and, and being well organised. And that's what that's what Tuchel's doing for them. He's just getting them organised and, and, and getting them to be more professional in their approach. You know, because yeah. all of these games, there is no such thing, despite um, me slagging off Arsenal and, and Sheffield United and all the rest of them, but there is actually no easy games in the Premier League and everyone knows it. So you've got to just keep picking up the points. You've got to keep working hard, and that's what we've got to keep doing. So, yeah, so far, so far, so good. A few big tests coming up, but let's keep going and see what happens. Yeah, Andy, looking at Chelsea over the last couple of games, what do you think of uh, the new and improved Chelsea side? Well, as you all know, I did question the appointment in the previous podcast, but I will say so far, <laughs> I have been quite, I've been quite impressed with how well organised they've been. I mean. Yeah. Three Even wins from three for him so far. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Spurs game, you've got to take into account how bad Spurs were. That's one thing I will say. I think Spurs were absolutely awful in that game. But at the same time, Chelsea were very good. I, I like the way they, I like the way he set them out. Um, well, if we had to compare, Andy, right, were Spurs as bad <laughs> against Chelsea as Liverpool were against City? <laughs> I mean, it's like Ooh. how you want to be killed, isn't it, really, that question? <laughs> it's, um, I think that that's just, that's just like... I mean, both were just terrible performances. I mean, um, at least Spurs Van at least Spurs Van least didn't have that hope they got through that penalty that we got with Salah. At least they just had the whole game of being absolutely terrible rather than getting their hopes mm-hmm. up for a little bit before we got dragged back down. Um I, I yeah, I think I think Chelsea have been impressive, but I, I I'm yet to see them play well against a, a good team for me so far. I'm I'm gonna I don't know who they're playing when they're playing a, a top six team next. Um I think, but yeah, I, I've been pleasantly surprised, but I think we've got to take into account the opposition they played. I mean, Sheffield United in a relegation zone, um, Wolves as well, they're not having a good season. And then obviously Spurs, 
were absolutely diabolical in that game. So I'm still yet to be convinced, but I'm slowly getting there. But it's still yeah. a way to go for me. Chelsea's next three Premier League fixtures are um, probably the hardest game of their season, mm-hmm. really, next Monday. Um, as, they host, as they host Newcastle. Um, after that, <laughs> after that, they play Southampton away. Then they've got Atletico Madrid um, away in the Champions League. And then they've got Man United and yeah. Everton and Leeds. And Leeds. <laughs> and, and Atletico Madrid again. And then and Liverpool. Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's a, so there's a tough run coming up. For um for Thomas Tuchel, I'll really sort of separate him, see how he does. Um, Steve, early thoughts on the to- on the Tuchel administration? I mean, I mean, for me, the 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 key thing about it is played four, one three, drawn one, conceded. This is the key thing: conceded one goal. Yeah, right, and that's, that's something it. that Lampard absolutely could not do. He yeah. could not get his back four settled. He could not get his team organised defensively. Going yeah. forward, Chelsea was so much fun to watch. And, and look, I'll tell you, when they went forward, you always thought they might score. But the problem was, yeah. when they went forward, they overcommitted every time and you thought yeah. the other team might score going back against them. Um, and that's what Tuchel's brought. Now, I have just heard on the grapevine that he's played four games. He's not yet won the FA Cup, the league, or the Champions League. So Abramovich has sacked him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a fun one for me is, you're playing Barnsley in the FA Cup on Thursday. I wonder what yes. team Tuchel put out for that because he's been pretty consistent in his lineup for the Premier League. But obviously, he's got a really big squad. He's got a really big squad to choose from there. Who's he going to say? Because whoever gets picked for that FA Cup game, let's be honest, these are the guys that are being told by Tuchel, you're not my first choice. No, I don't agree with that. I think he'll put out a strong team. And the only difference will be that um, I believe Werner's got a, a, an injury. But other than that, I think he'll put a strong team out. So I don't I, agree yeah. with that. I, I think so, that um, there's no sort of better way to introduce yourself to Roman Ranvic by winning a trophy. So I do think he may think, right, the league's probably out of reach. Let's try and win a trophy. So I do think mm. uh, we, we may see um, sort of a strong team put out by Tuchel. Well, I think we'll see this game... What what his intentions are in in the tournament, I think. Mm. Well, I think if you look at the, if you look at the players I chose to go on the bench, I think he can rotate quite a fair amount mm. and still play quite a strong team, which I think you'll do. Because um, even if you look at the game at the weekend, the players on the bench include Marcos Alonso and Golo Kante, Tammy yeah. Abraham, Callum Hudson Odoi, yeah. Hakim Ziyech. So he's got he can rotate the team quite heavily and still have still play a very, very, very strong side and one that is more than capable of beating Barnsley. I, I still think what will happen is um, I'll, I'll be listening on Five Live um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll hear the immortal words, 10 changes from the previous lineup. You wouldn't be. Seriously, <laughs> you wouldn't be. Uh, I, I honestly, that's I think not the way it works. You weren't even in the squad this no, week. No, not right? at all. Not at all. Uh, because he's only got four games between four days between that and the Newcastle game in the league, and he wants. He, I think he's prioritising the league um, because that's what Bramwich wants to. He wants to see that the team has improved and is consistent, and he needs to have that that solid run of form before they play the likes of Atletico Madrid, Man United, Everton, Leeds, Liverpool, and Liverpool. To be fair, such as this. Go on, mate. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I really don't. I think, I think number one, the FA Cup is very important, um, and also number two, um, I, I just think he's going to play. His, he's as a coach, he's always played his strongest team. That's always been his mo, pretty much anyway. And I don't see that changing at all here. 
in this instance. To be so fair, like if you're looking at, I'm, I was just going to say, if you look at the table and such as the tightness of it, since last we spoke, um, two goals, Chelsea have gone from eighth to fifth. Yeah. Um, yep. And that's with a couple of wins on the bounce. That's what mm-hmm. a couple of wins can do for you. And they're mm-hmm. now a point off the top four. Um, and yeah, well, six points off second place, Man United. Um, so there's still. Maybe not a title charge because City have uh, City are eleven points ahead of them and have a game in hand as mm. well. But there's still room for Chelsea to go on and get second, third position in the league table this season. Absolutely. If I'm looking is- at Chelsea's bench right from that game against Sheffield United at the weekend, and I will happily I'll have ten quid on this look just now right now. Okay, that of the guys on the bench, the following will start against Barnsley: Kepa, Alonso, Kante, Abraham. Zuma, Ziyech, and Hudson Adoy. And that's seven changes right there. Yes, but you've got all you've got to also realize Alonso, just one thing on Alonso is he's been playing under Tuchel for the last yeah. few games. Yeah. The the only other two that I would give you would be Abraham because I think Werner might be injured and, and uh, Hudson Odoi, who I think he quite likes actually. How do you so play Abraham and Zuma in the same team? They're pretty much, you know, aside from Abraham being a little younger and a little quicker, they're pretty much the same. You know, bustling big centre forward. Yeah, I would well, think I, I would think you'd play either Giroud or Abraham and for Werner, you might play Hudson and Dias. Well but Werner doesn't play it. I mean Werner plays slightly deeper and slightly wider. They play the Tuchel formation is like a, a single central centre forward, which is always has been Giroud or you know Abraham in every game. It'll be interesting to see what what he plays, but that that's just uh, what I thought he might do. But also, uh, I, think, I think Werner will be replaced by ZH personally. Yeah, I would, I, I would agree. I think that'll happen as well, to be perfectly honest. But I do think uh, Callum Hudson Adai will play. I do agree that Alonso will play, but then that's not really out of character with how the last few games have gone. Um, I think mm. uh, I think he's played two of the last three anyway. Um, I think and I wouldn't rest as Pelicueta because he's thirty-four, you know, and you, you want to rest a player like that that plays every game if he's your captain. And you've got Kurt Zuma sitting on the bench, so it's not exactly a ma- major downgrade. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we'll see changes, but maybe not. I tell you, I tell you it would be interesting to see. Um, what's happened to that sixty million pound centre centre midfield that you know Tuchel was brought in to uh, you know to, to revitalise because he'd done absolutely nothing since he arrived at, uh, at Chelsea? Um, the one that wasn't even in the squad on Saturday. Luke, well, what, what's happened to him? He's uh, he was always bought for the future anyway, so I'm quite happy as long as we win. Do you know what? As long as we win games, and he wasn't, he's only twenty years old or something. So you know, he's a young guy. He's got years ahead of him. Billy I, Gilmore you know, made the bench, and he's seventeen. He's a brilliant player, Gil, Gilmore. Actually, yeah. he really is a brilliant player, mm. and, and Rangers yeah. should never have got rid of him because he's a fantastic player. Um, and he's yeah, got a big, big future fan. ahead of him as well. Actually, so you know, they've the both got really big futures. I, I personally think that in that sort of situation. Especially if they're having a dip in form, it's not a bad thing for them to have a bit of a break and and work hard in training. I don't think that's a bad thing at all, uh, because you can you can ruin players if you're, um, especially younger guys if they if they're out of form and you keep playing them. They, 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 you know, I I think that can be the ruining of young players. What what I would say personally. is Kai, Kai Havertz has got a great future. It's just not uh-huh. Chelsea. No, I think he will. I think he will. I think I think they bought him for a reason, and he is yeah. a quality player. I can still yeah. see him coming good. Like my 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 whole yeah. situation at the start of the season when he was struggling and people were writing him off really quickly was Christian Pulisic didn't start very well either. Exactly. Christian Pulisic exactly. was injured for most of the first season. That's why he didn't start well. Havertz doesn't have that excuse. 
But they, they're under no pressure to play Havertz straight away. They're absolutely under no pressure at all. Um, he's, you know, like I said, I think that you can do more damage to a player if you keep playing him um, when he's not playing well uh, for his feature development. So I'm pretty yeah. relaxed about it. I think I, also I him not playing. Um, I think also Tuchel not playing him and then going even further and not even putting him in the squad um, basically removes any credence to the theory that one of the reasons. Frank Lampard was sacked was because he wasn't playing the big money signings, which a lot of people mm. were saying. Um, mm. Andy? Um, I will say my only fear for Havertz is that despite him being the big money signing, um, how often, apart from the Lampard era, how often do we see Chelsea develop young players? Not very often. They, they got the money so that if a player doesn't play well, they'll go right on to the next, onto the next big money signing. So I, I do mm. fear for him in that sense, but I think because they spend so much money on him, I do think they'll give him time to I was develop. The other thing that Chelsea are are shrewd business people in that they won't want to just throw a sixty million down the pan. Um, I mean, they definitely wouldn't. Definitely not. Yeah. I think I think they'll stick with him. And I have like as somebody who has watched Kai Havertz play for a couple of years, and I'm a big fan of Kai Havertz. I do still mm-hmm. believe in him to come good. So, yeah. I, I will put money again. We we'll look here. Like next season, Kai Havertz will start on loan somewhere other than Chelsea. That's interesting. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Hmm. I'm not sure I'm taking that bet. I'm not (laughs) sure I'm taking that bet right now. Yes. (laughs) A wise man. Anyway, I'm going to move on uh, to Manchester United, (laughs) who Rio Ferdinand this week claimed have bottled the title. Um, Andy, would you go along with that analysis? Um, I need to say that the word bottling is getting used too much these days in modern football yeah. and every team loses a few games and it's down as bottling. Or So I do think, um, I don't think Manu, I mean, a lot of changes in a week or two. So I do think they're definitely still in the title race. I don't think, I think everyone is until the team is like 15 points clear. So I do think, um, I don't think they will, I think City will, will, will win it. They'll say that, I do think City will win it. But I think, for me, the term yeah. bottling is just gets used too much these days. Say, same as the word snake, to be honest. That, that word gets used a lot in football <laughs> uh, when it's, a lot of time it's not justified. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't think they bottled it at all. I just think they've gone through a bad run. And it's, all, it's more of a, I'd say it's more of a reality check more, a, more than bottling it, I'd say, for Man U. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the table, if Man City win that game in hand, that's an eight-point gap to Man United already. Mm. Um, that's pretty clear, is it not, Luke? Yeah, to be honest, I think I think City are kind of, you know, are going to win a title. I think it's pretty certain now that they're not going to lose a stride unless they get very unlucky with injuries and stuff like that. Um, they, they look good. They look like they've got themselves back on track again after a bit of a dodgy time. I can't see anyone else but them doing it. Man United have played very well and they've played, they played you know, better than a lot of people expected and probably all of us expected, really. You've got to give them credit, but nah, they're, they're not going to win the title, I don't think. But they, they'll make the, the Champions League places. Yeah, I'm just just looking at the at the table and looking at the goals against Colin. Uh-huh. That it's it's very very clear why City are sitting there top of the league with 14 yeah. goals conceded this season, which is mm-hmm. miles miles clear of anybody else. Yeah, absolutely, Andy. I will say their form has gone really good since the Champions League group stage ended. And I, do, I remember when they were playing Champions League, they did drop a lot of points. Like they drew at West Brom. Um, mm-hmm. They drew against us. Um, they only they barely beat Sheffield United. They drew against West Ham. They lost 2-0 to Spurs, drew with Leeds. So I do think it'd be interesting what happens when all the teams go back in Champions League. What happens? Um, 
But I, I do still think now they're going to win it. But I, it just, it'll be interesting to see what happens when teams go back in Europe. Yeah, Steve, what do you make of um, Manchester United? Um, I think Manchester United this season, I think I've said this before, going forward are probably one of the most exciting teams to watch. But the exact opposite of, of the Liverpool situation is that they still have their £80 million centre-back and he's a liability. <laughs> Almost, if you if you can track every goal that, that United have conceded this season, at some point during the build-up, you will find a mistake by Harry Maguire. Um, mm. You know, and, and in games when they've lost that they should have won, for example, when playing the, that game at the uh, the weekend at the Drew 3-3, um, well, why wasn't Harry Maguire man-marking Dominic Calvert-Lewin? Why wasn't he tracking <laughs> the centre-forward when he's the big centre-back? Mm. You know, it's like, that's the most basic thing he gets asked to do in every game, and he couldn't do it. And it, this is the thing about Maguire. Um, Maguire, was, he was 80 million because you paid the premium for an English player because of, you know, you want certain players to, uh, under UEFA rules for, for your squad. But um, Harry Maguire is not an £80 million centre-back, uh, anything other than on paper. And the other problem they have is De Gea. Now, Ferdinand said the team had bottled it. You look at that third goal, De Gea bottles it, and it could not be any clearer. It's like a Cam Newton in Super Bowl. There's the ball. Dive at the feet of the striker and you'll get the ball and save it. And De Gea doesn't want to do it. He has lost his ball. He has lost his courage. When he came to United, we used to refer to him as a vampire because he was afraid of crosses. And he got round that. He, he developed his game. He comes for a lot of crosses now. He's a lot more confident. But he's, he's not a courageous keeper. He's not diving at the feet of, of a bustling centre forward, you know, because he's worried about getting hurt, or maybe he's worried about getting his hair out of place. I don't know. Um, but he is he is not the world-class player he was two, three years ago, um, any more than Alisson is at Liverpool. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. That was one game. <laughs> Stare in the pot there, Stevie boy. Oh, that, that, that um, tickled me more. That's um, left on my feathers more than Stevie comments we made. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, actually, I would one... suggest that Harry Maguire, like on, on the Harry Maguire situation, I would suggest that he's maybe been a little bit more consistent this season than last. Well, that's because the team around him is more consistent. I mean, Wan Bissaka has been a better player this year. Luke Shaw has been a better player this year. Lindelof's been a good, solid defender this year, which I never thought to hear myself say those words. Um, Hogba's come back a little bit to form. And obviously, when you've got your midfield firing, it puts a lot less pressure on the back four. And up front, Fernandez, Rashford, even Martial, been absolutely devastating. So when you've got the rest of the team playing like that and playing in form, it takes the pressure off the back four. But when the pressure is put on the back four, you still see Maguire. Maguire's the one you look to and say, is he going to make a mistake? You don't think you say, oh, wan going to make a mistake. You certainly don't think Lindelof's going to make a mistake. You look at Maguire. He's the talisman. And if he's not absolutely dominating the way Van Dijk did for Liverpool last year, mm. Man United's defence is still suspect. Look, would you agree with that? To an extent, yeah. To an extent. I mean, <laughs> the way they play, they're always going to be caught out in a sense, on a counter-attack. I think I think that that is very true. Um, and I think Maguire has the turn-in circle of an HGV at times. Um, so, you know, really, you know, to put it mildly, 
he's he's not exactly mobile in that sense. So if you get him turned, then you're gonna you're gonna pretty much uh, do him every time. Even I could probably have a good go at uh, getting him turned. But um, no, I'm joking about that by the way, because honestly, I'm a cat horse. But um, <laughs> even even at my peak, I was a cat horse. But uh, no, listen, the way they play, they're always going to get caught in the counter attack. It is what it is. It's interesting to see that actually Henderson's playing a goal tonight in the FA Cup, by the way. I don't know if you mentioned that. I don't know if you noticed that. But I, I did, yeah. I think uh, he, play, he, but, plays, he plays pretty much every like non-essential. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good to see it as well because it's. I think he's probably a longer term solution for them. But yeah, they're, they're predicated on scoring lots and lots of goals and they have been a good team to watch. Again, feeling a bit sexy in that because it's mad you. I mean, <laughs> Just on this FA Cup game, it's currently half time. It's still nil nil. Yeah, yeah. West Ham. yeah. Donny van der Beek. Donny van der Beek is currently getting a little bit of a stick from me and right. <laughs> Not standing in the right positions. Crazy, anyway. crazy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, moving on, and I was going to talk about Newcastle, but um, just I think for time's sake, we can. We can, Well, I'll let you guys pick. Should we do either the Newcastle question or the Tottenham question? Uh, with the Newcastle, Newcastle question, question. Be really, really quick. It's going to Come be on. like, uh, oh look, Almiron's playing better than he, than he was. Okay, so the team's playing better. Move on. Let's let's do the Newcastle <laughs> question. Come on, then. All right, then we'll do the Newcastle question. Is Miguel Almiron the greatest player to ever play football ever? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay, there we go. Correct yeah. answer. End of <laughs> Now... The actual question is: We've uh, Newcastle's obviously upturn in form coincides with the switch to something of a four-four-two diamond formation. Yes, um, a formation which new assistant Graham Jones was a big fan of during his time as Luton manager. So the question to ask really here is: um, Since he's come in, um, Graham Jones is the man that's been standing on the touchline, shouting at the players. Graham Jones has been the man pictured in training, talking to the players, giving instructions. Graham Jones yes. is the man whose formation we seem to be deploying in each game. So who's pulling the strings at Newcastle United now? Is it Graham Jones or is it the actual manager? Or is he essentially now just a puppeteer, just a face of the organisation? I think we might see a similar situation to when I mean, when Ranieri was sacked. Um, what's his, uh, what's his name? Uh, something Shakespeare came in, didn't he? And they, everyone was saying behind the scenes that he was a man... Um, putting the string so I do think you may see a similar thing where uh, maybe a few more thoughts go badly or something and then they might they might sack Bruce and get Graham Jones in yeah well I think this is I think this is exactly why Graham Jones was brought in was so that if and when Steve Bruce is sacked there's a quick and easy appointment there to be made um, or if I think to be honest I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if the reason why they brought Graham Jones in was just to undermine Steve Bruce enough so that he quits and they don't have to pay him that uh, severance package <laughs> I'll go further. Andy, you've already seen what happens here because you lived through this. This is the Roy Evans situation. You remember this? <laughs> that Four was managers. actually, I think I, I was born 95. So I was before my, my first manager, I remember, was purely Houdier. There was no Evans, but I do. Oh, you my, my dad told me about how managers. that was. Liverpool with co-managers, that's where you are right now with, with Newcastle. The difference being one of the managers is competent and one of the managers is not. Um, and I'm pretty sure if I ask you which was which, <laughs> I know what his answer would be. 
I don't think that's a uh, that's a big mystery. To be honest, I'm not massively sold on Graham Jones as a manager. His history and his reputation doesn't exactly say that he's going to end up being a world-class manager. Um, I haven't spoken to a few Luton fans. They aren't his biggest fans. Um, they, the Luton fans that I talked to about Graham Jones said that he was fairly negative, um, that he wasn't the greatest manager, that his decision-making was poor. So um, I, I don't know. I'm still a bit sceptical about him, but so far we're three games in playing his formation and the difference has been drastic as anyone who's seen the games will will mm. have been able to see, essentially, from the really, really poor well, back five that Steve Bruce has been deploying for the vast majority of this season. Mm. And it, obviously it just wasn't working for them, was it? So, And, and he even said it, didn't he? he? He basically said that the players told him they wanted to play that, and it clearly wasn't working. And it seems to, seems to be an awful lot more dynamic. So there, there is maybe hope there, you never know, Kieran. Well, Steve Bruce has always had this thing since he's gotten to the club that he doesn't have the yeah. players to play an attacking brand of football, which every Newcastle fan has consistently said yeah, is absolute Todd's wallop, though, um, because he does have the players to play attacking football, especially this season. Um, he's got he's got quite a few good weapons in Ads at Maximum, yes. Mike Fraser, Callum Wilson, Miguel Almiron. There are options there, and he's just opted not to use them. Could he rename one of the players Julio Giorgio? <laughs> just so that you could get that extra bit, you know, just to, to, to give you that extra bit on top. No. Well, uh, speaking of players renaming them, uh, renaming themselves, Alan St. Maximin um, kind of rinsed Paul Merson on Twitter a bit this week, um, changed his name to Sam Max. Yeah. Um, there you go, see? So maybe Mr. maybe Mark one of the other players could change his name. Yeah. <laughs> change his name to Julio Giordio from the way back in the past show, and then that just, that'd be it, you know, we'd all love it. We don't love it, and maybe maybe Steve Bruce could change his name to Kevin Keegan for a little while, and then that'll be it. Yeah, and and you wouldn't you wouldn't be mentioning Callum Wilson there, given that he's just had a hamstring injury and those tend to be, you know, for for strikers to good. play off their pace. That's not not yeah. a great. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a blow. I think I think it was I, I, it was a tweak. It's not like he's ruptured the thing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I think they did the right thing in taking him off in the game when they did. Um, but the fact, the problem with that game was Newcastle ended up making, well, three and four substitutions and lost another one. So uh, mm. four injuries in one game was fun. Not good, is it? It's Just what you want. Time. I think our problem at the moment is defensive cover because. Uh, much like Liverpool, all of our centre-backs are injured, apart from yeah. we didn't just spend £20 million on one and then refuse to play him. So, mm. but To be fair, one of them that's injured is Fabian Shaw. I mean, that's as good as having a new player, really. So having not been in the Fabian Shaw has been excellent recently. <laughs> <laughs> him not playing is he, like you having 11 men in the field. <laughs> I think you're being you a bit harsh have, here, Steve. I just, I, to be <laughs> honest, be I think you're being a bit silly there because I don't think he watches Newcastle games. <laughs> Being a bit harsh there, I think, Steve. Uh, Fabian Shaw, same as Patrick Bamford, stealing a living. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I always thought that you watched... Stupid, team. stupid man. I always oh. thought that you watched Newcastle a bit like this with your hands over your eyes, sort of peeking, <laughs> out, your, peeking out the sort of corners of your fingers like that. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? Fabian Shaw especially has been a standout performer in recent weeks. He's been excellent. Um, I'm a big Fab. I'm a big Fabian Shaw fan. I have been ever since he got to the club. He's been a very good servant for us over the last couple of years. Um, nice. We're missing Fede Fernandez and Kieran Clark at the moment, though. Kieran Clark is not a name I ever expected to put into that 
but he's been excellent. <laughs> Again, he's been outstanding. He's been one of the better performers, mm. performers mm. this year. But uh, looking at the table, Newcastle sit 16th, 10 points above Fulham um, in 18th. Steve, are Newcastle still looking over their shoulders? No, no. And here, here's the thing. Fulham um, are sitting in 18th, but Fulham can't put a run of games together to save their lives. Um, Big Sam's in charge at West Brom, which is going to mean that they do cause a few teams a few problems, but he's been appointed too late. Um, and he's got some good players in, same as Newcastle. Hold on, didn't you say that? Didn't did you not say that he would get that? Um, that Sam Allardyce would keep them up last week. I did, however, I've then watched the last three games they played, and they have they are clueless at the back, truly clueless. They've conceded they have conceded 54 goals this season. That's yeah. not an accident. No. And, and he's you can see him on the sidelines. He sets the team out and he sets the team out in a big Sam way, right? And then the team you can see within the first 15 minutes completely forget everything he's told them. <laughs> and this this is not on Big Sam. This is on the quality of player who are at West Brom this year, right? That is not a good team. Um Fulham are probably the best of the three teams in the bottom three. But even then, they can't string a run of, of wins or even draws together. You know, we have a goal scoring problem as well. I only, only Mitrovic has season. something's yeah. happened there. Mitrovic's confidence is gone ever since he missed that penalty for Serbia against Scotland. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> Mitrovic has not been the same player, um, and there's something something's going in his head. Scott well, Conkin is Scotland to set him does down. Scott Parker needs to sit him down at some point. Have a one-on-one and say, "Look, what's wrong? What's wrong?" You know, and it's like if he if he if he can't get Mitrovic playing again, he needs to drop him. To be fair, if you lose to Scotland, you might as well just retire. So, I, I, I just you wait. <laughs> just you wait. For what? For you to get I mean, battered at Wembley next? I mean, that's. That's like losing to Iceland, isn't it? <laughs> Hang on, were you, were you even at that tournament? Hey, Kieran. Iceland. Were you even Iceland at that tournament? a population about the size of the Isle of Man. But, Steve, <laughs> Steve, hang on. Picture just, remind me, just remind me how well Scotland did in that tournament. Uh, I don't know which tournament you're talking about. Really, really well. <laughs> we're in Wales really in that well. tournament, just saying. We did oh, yeah, really, another team really that lost well. to England. <laughs> we're still in further than them yeah but you still lost the game and lost, and lost to the champions <laughs> and lost to the actual winners of the tournament not just um, yeah but you know. here's, here's well, every team has, every, 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 to- every country will have the flash in the pan at some point yeah, England <laughs> lost to 11 guys who were cosplaying for here's, here's a fun uh, well, one more fun in fact before we go guys so Scotland have never qualified for the second phase of a major championships never so they got to major championships, but never qualified for the same phase. It's like, are you just self-burning yourself now? Pretty much. We find new ways of being rubbish. <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's the way it is. Uh, it's not going to change this summer either, I wouldn't have thought. Uh, We're going to so, beat you. Come on. No, Come on. No, you're not. Either. Here's the thing, though, right? If, if we go out there, right, I guarantee you, we, David could Marshall. Play, we could play the three games in the group, right? We could beat England and we'd lose the other two and still go out in third. Right, because that is the Scottish way. Heroic failure. So close and yet so far. 
There is no way we qualify for the second place. <laughs> hey, do you know what it is? If I'm being completely honest, I would not. It wouldn't shock me even slightly if England lost to Scotland at the Euros this summer. <laughs> but it wouldn't surprise me if England lost to Scotland, but still won their other two games and went through as group winners. Yeah, I, exactly that. Like, it's, I really, really, really wouldn't be shocked if that is what happens this summer. Um, do you know what? The, the, the difference is, all... if we got you in the qualifiers, we'd have battered you twice. That's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 when it comes to think, being Scottish, being battered is everything. Life <laughs> than deep fried. That's the way it goes. Nobody does. Nobody does major tournament qualification quite like England do. But then nobody does. Nobody flops as hard in tournaments as England do. Uh, so you know. The most the most amusing thing about this is always, always after the first couple of group game wins, it's coming home. Who's coming? And I start laughing so loudly because I know what's coming. We all know what's coming. So do we, but always, we like to have hope. <laughs> there's Alicia. always this core of fans that genuinely Alicia. believe, whilst the rest it's... of the world is already killing itself laughing because they know what's coming. Do you know what it is? There, there isn't. It's um, there, there isn't really a core of fans who believe that it was coming home. Like it's just, uh, mind you, I have to say when Kieran Trippier bagged that free kick in the semi-final, a lot, a lot of people did start going, "Oh, hang on." Hang on a second. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I can tell you, in, when I was in Bristol watching that game, I can tell you, the whole pub believed it. <laughs> we all believed We all believed it for about 20 minutes and then it became obvious that we were going to lose that game because we kept... Because after, this, after the Kane-Sterling chance, it could be, that, we knew oh. we were going to lose that game that, from then, really. I was in a pub in Edinburgh and I can tell you that most of the pub believed that England would not do it. And I can just tell you that right now. <laughs> the, the other thing is, like anyone who was actually looking at it rationally knew fine well that even if we did get through that game, we would have been battered by France in the final. This is it. It's the way it goes. Look what Belgium did to us twice. So, you know. Mm. Was, was Martinez in charge? <laughs> yep. There you go. That's a whole other pod, isn't it? That's a whole other pod. Uh, we could spend, we could sit and spend all day talking about international football. Oh, we're going to have to this summer. Um, yeah, I think uh, we should probably, if we could, if we can, COVID permitting, arrange some sort of a pub meetup for the England versus. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. In pub, Scotland, pub meetup and a, a live in London. You know, a live podcast. <laughs> Why not? We'll stream it. We'll stream it on uh, on YouTube or Spotify. <laughs> we'll it. do a, we'll do a live podcast from, from a pub, pub somewhere in yes. London. Yeah, all half cut. All you imagine out of our minds. <laughs> imagine if a fight broke out. Imagine if a fight broke out in the middle of it. That's it. <laughs> Steve, you're talking shite. <laughs> I pick the window. You're leaving. <laughs> I tell you what, we should do. We should. We'll try and like. We'll try and work out exactly what's hot. What's an equal distance between where you guys live and between where well just basically between where all right. of us live and just meet slap bang in the middle because I know it's going to be in England so happy days Birmingham <laughs> honestly you can get the right flights from here to Birmingham Andy just up the road on, on yeah. the F5 really easy to get to let's say easy flights down from uh, from Newcastle yeah no problem Birmingham it is and there's some lovely pubs and curry houses in Birmingham Mm. I've oh been, yeah, I, I've only ever been to Birmingham once, so it'll be interesting. We could do Manchester; it's even closer. Mm. Birmingham, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that's one for us to sort out uh, at a later date. But that is all we've got time for today, and we have gone quite drastically over. This is going to be like another ninety-minute podcast, but still. 
Um, be sure to tune in again next week when we'll be back to debate another week of football headlines from around the Premier League and still not beyond. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again.